Hello, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi, welcoming you to this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. I think it's useful every so often to reflect on how relevant contemplative practices are, especially during this time when people have become concerned about hateful, fearful, disrespectful attitudes having the microphone so much of the time on the world stage. Later in this episode, we'll discover the germ of the spiritual dis-ease we call suffering, and together we'll practice a profound method introduced by the Buddha about 2,600 years ago for exposing and uprooting it. I want to remind you first, though, about some events coming up in just the next couple of months. Jaya and I will be at Mindful Nashville in Nashville, Tennessee to lead a day-long retreat called 10 Qualities of a Beautiful Human Being. I'll give you an overview in the next episode of the podcast that may help you understand why these are worthy of study. So for now, I'll just let you take a look at our website, deepsouthdharma.org, for more information. Or, if you haven't visited the retreat location yet, go take a look at mindfulnashville.com. Then, in the first weekend of December, I have the privilege of offering a residential retreat for creative folks at Hartwood Refuge in Hendersonville, North Carolina, with my daughter, Americana musician, Erin Ray. The retreat is called Training the Heart, Lifting Your Voice. And just like everything else I offer, you do not have to consider yourself a Buddhist to participate. Some trainings of the Buddha will be in the framework to help you protect and channel your creative voice, whether you use that voice in the arts or public service or in establishing happier personal circumstances. But the concepts would not be completely unfamiliar to you, nor would they clash with any religion or non-religion you practice. It's just that we'll come together in a group that's all practicing together in such a way as to support each other in the cultivation of our voices. Feel free to reach out to me with questions or to go ahead and register, visit heartwoodrefuge.org. If you want to know more about our weekly offerings, both online and in Oxford, or if you want more details on our upcoming workshops and retreats, go to our website at deepsouthdharma.org And if you'd like an occasional update, subscribe at the bottom of the page. You'll hear from us usually about three times a month, so it's sort of the opposite of spam. You can feel safe giving us your address. For now, we'll turn our attention to uprooting the germ of suffering. In the suttas of the Pali Canon, the earliest recorded accounts and teachings of the Buddha, we run into several stories where someone who can't travel to the Buddha or who is curious about him will ask someone else for a thumbnail of the Buddha's teachings. In some of these stories, the disciple will sum things up with the teaching on impermanence, saying, all that arises, that also ceases. For those of us living today, it's easy to misunderstand and think we know that. We would therefore miss what it is that makes this such a powerful teaching. 
I find that the way the Buddha to put it when he was teaching his own son makes it more clear. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I or mine. He goes on to speak of how the I-making and my-making creates our misery. Where I live in the United States, there's quite a worship of self, even in mainstream religion, and we see the extreme and overheated results of that eyeing and myeing in our culture and indeed in our world today. A person here is considered successful to the degree that she is able to make life go her way, which is an insane measure because no one gets life their way all the time. To help us understand more about this germ of suffering, which is clinging to experience as I or mine, I like to point out how everyday language can reveal and create suffering or non-suffering. With this example, there can either be my family or there may be my family. In the case of I making and my making, my family comes to mean those people that I believe belong to me, those people that I believe owe me something, who have to act a certain way because they're a reflection of me or an extension of my identity, as a mother, for example. In this case, the phrase my family or even the word I'm a mother is based on clinging. But if I relate to my family in a way that prevents or reduces or eliminates suffering, my family comes to mean those people that I commit to prioritize, who actually have a right to expect certain things from me, whether that is time or emotional or financial support where appropriate. It reduces suffering from them because they don't have to worry about my priorities, and it reduces suffering for me by clarifying certain decisions. In this case, the phrase, my family, is based in mindfulness and wisdom. And of course, we could say the same about all kinds of subjects. I may have my job, where I get my identity and a sense of importance, or my job, where I have a way to be of use to people. Even my meditation practice can be grounded in clinging or in wisdom. So in our practice of meditation together in a few minutes, we'll use words that people have used for many centuries to loosen that clinging. This is not mine. I am not this. This is not myself. No matter what religious tradition you practice or how far along you are, whether you believe you have a self or not, I want you to put that aside just for now. What you can know to be true is that there is nothing you can apprehend through the senses in this conditioned world that is yourself. The bully that you hear in your head is not self. Even the intention to quote-unquote do better is not self, because we know intentions can be conflicted and our motives can be mixed, so those are certainly not self. When we meditate in this way, we won't be saying these phrases constantly to ourselves, necessarily. It's just that when we notice the sense of getting caught up in something, wanting it to last or to go away, or feeling unfocused, we'll use these words to remember, this is not mine, I am not this, this is not myself. So in all the experience we encounter in meditation, 
We want to intervene on the process of eyeing and mying over it. It's pretty easy to see we're not the sounds we hear. But do you also really know that the bodily reaction to sound is also not yours? It's simply the result of how this body has been conditioned up to this point. Some of us are wound tighter than others or looser than others. And this current state of a body being wound tightly or not has been conditioned by evolution, by genetics, by the experience of that body, and it is exponentially affected by the volitional use of thought and attention. The seed for suffering is in the clinging to the pleasantness or unpleasantness of the sounds, in the I love this or I can't stand this or this isn't my kind of music. Now this doesn't mean we have to be afraid to allow ourselves to enjoy good things. In fact, the Buddha spoke of wholesome pleasures, and he tells us that a critical moment in his awakening was his realization that wholesome pleasures were nothing to fear. So what makes a pleasure wholesome? After all, even meditation can become tainted with the virus of eyeing and mying, with cravings for the sensual pleasures of a quote-unquote good meditation where we're having the kind of experience we want or the craving to be a certain kind of person or not to be or feel some other kind of way. What makes a pleasure wholesome is to encounter it free of those germs of eyeing and mying, noticing when the illusion of identity and ownership are there and letting that illusion pass while remaining present to the actual experience we're having, as long as it lasts. So, as one of the first enlightened disciples of the Buddha shared with a friend, you should see all with right wisdom in accordance with reality. This is not mine. I am not this. This is not myself. So again, practicing in silence, whether standing, sitting, walking, or lying down, whatever you encounter, recollecting, this is not mine, I am not this, this is not myself. For formal meditation practice, I'll just leave five minutes on the recording. So if you plan on more time, just stop the recording and set a timer. No matter how long or short a time you plan to practice, it's valuable to set an intention and keep to it, to strengthen that ability to choose a master intention, so to speak, from all the others that vie for attention. Now, you can also use this just in your everyday walking around. When you notice yourself getting particularly uptight, when you notice yourself feeling the struggle to let go of a pleasant moment and move on with your day, when you notice yourself triggered in some way or another, really useful to have these phrases well-practiced so that you can remember, this is not mine, I am not this, this is not myself, whatever experience I'm encountering. But when you choose to sit down and practice in a formal way, you can go forward with this recording. We'll start and end with the bell.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.